Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? Wellness and happiness and amazing people doing amazing things. And today's guest, in my opinion, is kind of like the ambassador of the phrase, age is just a number. And this individual is showing people, and I say this with, oh my God, loving this person, but teaching, showing people that an old dog can learn new tricks. And we're going to be talking about his amazing new book that's coming out February 28th. I'll say it a thousand times. It's called NAR Country. I just like saying that. This is going to be Stephen Kotler. And before I let him talk, I have to read his bio. You know the routine when it comes to my podcast. So Stephen is a New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning journalist, and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He's one of the world's leading experts on human performance. Stephen is the author of 11, that's right, bestsellers, out of 14 books, including The Art of Impossible, The Future is Faster Than You Think, Stealing Fire, The Rise of Superman, Bold and Abundance. His work has been nominated for two Pulitzer Prizes, translated into over 50 languages, and has appeared in over 100 publications, including the New York Times Magazine, Wired, Atlantic Monthly, Wall Street Journal, Time, and the Harvard Business Review, alongside his wife, author Joy Nicholson. He is also the co-founder of the Buddy Sue Hospice Home for Old Dogs. And I do have two dogs, so I love that. A canine elder care facility and Rancho de Chihuahua, a dog rescue and sanctuary. And with that being said, Stephen, how are you doing, bud? I am really good. It's good to be with you. And that's awesome. So, you know, I got some questions already and I did some research on you. And I'm going to let you know, you are plastered on YouTube. And I feel like I know you better than you know you now. Are you ready for these questions? I'm ready. So the first one is going to be, you talk a lot about peak performance and aging. What is it? So let's just start with what is peak performance. All right. At a really high level, there's nothing fancy going on. When I think about peak performance, I think about getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. When I think about peak performance aging, it's getting our biology to work for us rather than against us when applied to the challenges and opportunities of aging. Oh, well said. Now, we're going to use that as kind of an intro to your new book that's coming out. I just love saying the name NAR Country. <laughs> I put a little thing on my face when I say it, you know. So your book, NAR Country, tells a story of a daring experiment in peak performance aging. And because I know what you did in the book, <laughs> um, how did you teach yourself to please explain to my audience what park ski is and how did you do it at age 53? You are 53, right? Yeah, uh, okay. now I'm 55. I was 53 when I started the experiment. Okay, life. okay. Um, uh, so uh, I'm going to actually invert the order and tell you what I sort of what I did before we get into the park skiing. Okay, so cool. Just, I like it. 
for uh, reasons that we can get to, there are, so the field of peak performance aging has been developing over the past 20 years out of half a dozen, you know, disparate fields from embodied cognition through flow science, um, geriatric psychiatry, adult development, on and on and on. It's sort of coalesced over the past five years. And there are about four or five new learning theories that don't just say it should be possible for old dogs to learn our tricks. It, they say it should be possible for uh, old dogs to learn even like difficult, supposedly impossible, challenging physical activities. So most of this stuff is true in the lab. We don't know if it's true in the wild. And because I'm wired this way, we do this sometimes, we do these things at the Flow Research Collective. We ran maybe the weirdest experiment in peak performance aging babies run. We took a bunch of these theories, we blended them together into a learning protocol. And so if these things are true, I should be able to teach myself how to park ski at age 53. Now, park skiing, it's the discipline in skiing that involves doing tricks, flips, spins, off jumps, onto rails, on boxes, on wall rides. It's very, very acrobatic. It's fairly dangerous. And for about 12 different biological reasons, it's considered really difficult if you're trying to learn over 35. Once you get 40, 45, it's really, really, really difficult. Once you get to like 50, it's downright insane and impossible. <laughs> or so they thought. That was uh, that was the experiment. That's the experiment, the story told in the book. And obviously, our experiment was a runaway success. Uh, in fact, using this learning methodology, I learned how to park ski faster than I'd ever learned how to do anything. My ski partners using the same methodology okay. got incredibly far. And we said, okay, this is cool. We've now got the greatest pilot study anybody's ever run. <laughs> we don't yet have data. So the following year, we came back. We took 17 older adults, ages 29 to 68. And okay, okay, you big span. And we could talk about the mindset of old and how it sets up early sure. in the 20s and, and, and why we chose such a big span, big span of people. And um, with four days on the mountain, yeah, taught them how to park ski. And you don't have to take my word for it. Go to www.narcountry.com. <laughs> Yeah. Click on the link that says view the peak performance aging experiment. We had a National Geographic cameraman follows around the whole way. You can read the white paper. It's all there. And I will tell you, we then stripped out the action sports and reran it as a learning program trying to explode uh -huh. people's older mindsets about aging. There's some physical activity because obviously exercise really matters for peak performance aging. We can talk about that. Um, and got really amazing results and put like 347 people through that. So we've got now a sort of decent sample size, yeah. you know, and can look at this stuff and go, okay, yeah, we're, we're on to something. This is really cool. So let me ask you just a fun question. So obviously you, you're trying to learn how to park ski and someone's kind of explained this to you. So when you were approaching one of your first jumps and your instructor, whoever it is, is like, and now jump on this. Are you like, are you shitting me? I mean, uh, okay. you want me so to break my ankle? Couple you break yeah, a couple, th <laughs> couple things you need to know about the learning protocol we follow. <laughs> So there were no instructors until okay. five months into the experiment was the very first time we brought an instructor into the experiment. Okay. There is a tremendous amount of uh, research in embodied cognition and learning that says if we watch people perform an activity, okay. our brain, our mirror neurons runs the exact same motor program, right? So I watch my skier, my partner, my ski partner, yeah. throw a 360 off a jump. My mirror neuron system runs the exact same motor program. Okay. Most people don't know is yeah. most people know that if they know anything about mirror neurons, what they don't know is you get a go, no go signal. So your brain will run the motor program. And if you've got the move, 
you'll get a little squirt of dopamine. And if you don't have the move, you'll get norepinephrine, a little squirt of anxiety or fear, right? Mm -hmm. So excitement, yes. Anxiety, no. And that signal shows up reliably. So we did a lot of stuff. We can talk later about it meant to keep me and keep people in flow to augment performance. Um, But we were, so there was no instruction. There was almost, in fact, because we were utilizing flow so much, this state of optimal performance to maintain flow, the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's right behind yep. your forehead, gets really quiet and slow. Large swatches deactivate. Now, it's yep. not an across-the-board shutdown, but it's task-specific, but large chunks go down. Yep. You want to fight really hard against reactivating the prefrontal cortex so you avoid certain things, including a lot of verbal stuff. So our rules were uh, you could talk about the skiing or you could make each other laugh. Otherwise, you had to stay silent because if you talk about anything emotional, or anything ego-driven, if yourself gets in the picture, that activates the prefrontal cortex. If you get too emotionally upset, prefrontal cortex, all this stuff will knock you out of flow. So a lot of what we did was, huh. it wasn't about what we did, it was what we didn't do. We didn't do a lot of other things that traditional, right? And we did this, so when we redid yeah. this experiment, like I thought maybe this might work well for me, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I knew yeah. my ski partner and I, you know, we had some trust. Yeah. When we brought the group onto the hill, the 17 older adults for the yeah. first time. And most, they don't know each other. They don't know us really. Sure, sure, and sure. None of, that, none of them have ever been in a trade park before. Yeah. And we, like our instruction, like we told them what we we're going to do. But like the reality of, oh my God, we're now playing follow the leader through a terrain park. What the <laughs> hell is happening to me? But I can tell you the second half of what we did. Yeah. We didn't te- try to teach any tricks. Okay. So... What we did is we broke park skiing into eight foundational moment movements. Yeah. Crouching, jumping, slashing, grinding, a 180, a 360, a shifty, and backward skiing. Okay. And we taught people to move their bodies in new ways and to look at the terrain park as just new terrain. Right. Okay. Maybe that may that might be a giant jump, but yeah. it's also a mound of snow on top of another mound of snow. So what can you do with this skill set in a creative way? Turns out when we're creatively interpreting terrain features, yeah. that creativity, that pattern recognition that's yeah. underneath creativity, when you look at a feature and you go, oh, wow, I could do a 180 on that or whatever. Yeah. That produces a little squirt of dopamine and that drives focus and then drives us into flow and flow amplifies performance. So in a sense, by teaching people new movements, we were using creativity to drive them into flow and flow because it massively amplifies learning and performance. It took care of a lot of the hard work for us. We had to put them in the right environment, show them the moves. And the other thing we did is it wasn't like we were do the thing the guy in front of you or gal in front of you did. It's if you can't do that, dial it back until you're within like, and we were going as slow as possible, go one inch at a time. So you can't throw a giant 360 in the air. Maybe you could throw a sliding spin 360 across the knuckle of the jump, which is a big flat section at the top of the jump. Something for everybody to get gateways in. Um, And it worked splendidly so how how about the 68 year old i mean i'm gonna pick on this person so was he more of a dopamine guy or no, okay so I, gotta, I, 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 tell you a couple, I tell you a couple of stories so this is really funny it's not the 68 year old it's the 66 year old a 66 year old no, no, we had a 68 year old but this we is about did. the 66 okay. year old okay so um if you watch the video if you go to our country and watch the peak performance aging video at sure. the end of the sure. video uh-huh. There's this guy and he says, hi, I'm, I'm Rick Wicks. I'm 66 years old. Okay. And I definitely caught some air in the NAR country experiment. And I thought that was pretty good for an old guy. So that's really cool. Now, good, man. What you didn't see that we actually have it on video <laughs> is 
the meeting we had two months earlier at the start of the experiment when everybody got together on a Zoom call and this same guy leaned forward was like, he had volunteered for the experiment. He was going to do it, but he was like, I am 66 years old. I've been skiing for 45 years. I've never caught air in my life. I'm not going to start now. That's the best. Holy fuck, man. You are perfect for this. You're our ideal participant. You're super skeptical. Don't think it is. We love you. Come hang out. And yeah, so it was, there were a lot of those those kind of folks. And that was, um, that was the best thing because the reason something like this matters is, so you want to, if you peak performance aging, the place you really want to start is with one of the clearest findings over the past 30 years. And this is not going to be a surprise to you, but it's that aging is as much a mental process as a physical process. Of course. Right. And the mind body connection is very, very strong and nowhere is that clearer than mindset, a positive mindset towards aging. I am excited about the second half of my life. I think my best days are ahead of me. The impact on health and longevity is an extra seven and a half years of health and longevity. You can be morbidly obese and have a shitty mindset towards aging. (laughs) And it, it is more important to change your mindset than to lose weight. Like changing your mindset has the same impact as quitting smoking for a heavy, 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 like four pack a day smoker. Like that's, that's the impact. That's, that's strong. It's really oh strong God. and it's really well established. This isn't a single study. This is dozen studies over a very long time. So how do you explode your mindset? Right. What, 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 what's that yeah. like? So that's sure. the next question. Ellen Langer, Har- who was at Harvard forever, did a lot of work on this. She's, she's got some very good tips. Okay. Want to focus on you want to focus mindfulness, paying attention to the present, interrogating the present with curiosity and noticing for peak performance mm-hmm. aging, especially that the co- life is constantly changing, that it's not solid, right? We the of solidity course. of life is yeah. an illusion that the brain creates, but noticing that it's always changing and it's okay is a good place to start. Second thing is you want to watch your language, right? When when you're saying I'm too old for this shit, <laughs> that's what you want to right. You want to fix yeah. that, but the other right. like. That's sort of like the best she's got, right? She's one of the best. And we were looking and we were like, no, no, no. You want to create a challenge for yourself that if you successfully are successful with this challenge, your old mindset doesn't stand a chance. We call it an R style challenge. Okay. And that's essentially what we've, our goal of our class was, could we explode people's mindset and could we have them design? Not everybody wants to learn to park ski, right? Not everyone wants the physical activity. Right, but could they find a NAR style challenge that works for them that would explode their ideas about what was possible in the second half of your life? Because nothing, whatever I believed about aging going in, the first time I learned like a 180 even, right? Like, and landed backwards and skied away and didn't explode or die or, you know, get zapped by aliens from Cygnus 9 with a ray gun that just says, no, you can't do this at 53. I didn't know you didn't know that happened, but it's a, it's, it's a possibility. <laughs> Anyways, um, it, I mean, but literally, like whatever I thought was possible in the second half of my life, it was gone in that moment. It really was. Wow. Like all all these things really unlocked, and we were that was sort of what, and that's what we saw in our study subjects too. When we put them, when we taught them out of party, that yeah. was exact. Like we measured everything, right? And but the thing that showed up again and again in, in the interviews after and all of the data was that their mindset had been just destroyed. And um, in, you know, really significant ways. And when, you, when you, people are almost 70 years old and, and you're changing their mindset on what's possible in the future, that's a, that's a cool finding. So that was sort of our goal. And I think these kinds of quests, these kinds of challenging activities are great for that. And I always say, like, you, you just want to pick something that, like, I had unfinished business in skiing. 
for a lot of reason, but like yeah. it was added fire and motivation. I wanted to close that loop before, you know, before I couldn't close that loop anymore. So. Well, hey, I want to ask you this, because this may not be directly related to the book, but this was a very interesting thing that you were kind of quoted on. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, attaining peak performance at any age. And I, that's why I really love talking to you, because my listeners run the gamut when we talk about age. And you had to deal with some personal forgiveness and traumas of the past. And then you were talking about, and I thought, how do you relate that to getting peak performance? And you we're speaking about something called a dirty old shame and how you conquered it, but you never really elaborated what it was. And I want to know what it is. So yeah, I mean, I talk about it. So I talk about it in the book. And so let me give you context first and then you'll you'll get it. So pause that. I want to speak to something you said. Okay. You said listeners are all of all ages. Yeah. I want to start with something that we know that's really important, which is peak performance aging starts young. It really starts young. Okay. So two things on this. One, I'm going to speak directly to this. The second thing I want to say is the mindset of old starts to set up as soon as we have stuff. In the beginning, we're sort of driven by the seeking system and the play system. Who am I in the world? Well, how am I going to make my way? How do I survive? And then we get the stuff. Oh, I've got the right job. I've got the right partner. I've got kids. I've got all that stuff. And instead of seeking, now we're protecting. We're trying to conserve what we have. There's neurochemicals that on addictive neurochemicals under the seeking system and the play system. There's different addictive neurochemicals under the protect and the relax that system. And so we switch addictions. And when we do that, that is the beginning of what you could call the mindset of old, right? It's the mindset that says, no, 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 you can't go surfing. You've got adult responsibilities or you're too old for that. Like all that stuff, right? And we think we're doing the right thing. And, and we are to a point, but like that very same mindset becomes crippling in our 40s and 50s. Okay. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing yeah. I want to say is one of the other reasons I can say peak performance aging starts young is one of the cool things that happens as we age is in our late 40s and our 50s, there are significant changes in the brain. Some of this is genetic. Certain genes are activated only by experience. So there's epigenetic stuff that gets turned on. Okay. Second of all, uh, the two halves of the brain, which... They don't really work together super well for most of our lives, right? Begin to really work together in our 50s, but never before. And it peaks, by the way, in our 80s. So this is this cognitive superpower that starts in our 50s and peaks in our 80s. And then the brain in our 50s, it says, oh, you've never learned how to play the piano. So we've got this music learning real estate. Let's colonize it. Let's use it for redundancy. Let's lose it for expertise, wisdom, new skills. So all these things start to happen as a result in our 50s, we get access to whole new levels of intelligence, creativity, wisdom, and empathy. Really significant, really significant. And I can talk more about those skills later, but the point is it's not guaranteed. Okay. To get these skills, we have to pass through some gateways of adult development, psychological gateways, right? These are, if if you're a psychologist, you call them moderators, if-then conditions. Okay. By the time we're 30, it's important to have solved the crisis of identity. We have to know who we are in the world, what our values, what are our strengths, what's our passion, what's our purpose. We don't have to have the full answer. We got to be solid with it. One of the reasons so important is at 40, you need match fit. Match fit's a term out of economics. It means there's a tight link between who you are, your identity. So this is one of the reasons you have to have identity by 30 because you can't get match fit by 40 without it. And what you do in the world, right? You need an alignment between your vocation or your avocation, what you do with your time, or your time and your values and who you are. By 50, 
you have to forgive yourself and others for those things that have gone wrong along the way. And then there's a couple of things you have to do after 50 to really maintain this stuff. But you, we, I want to go back to your original question. So I, uh, I am not a naturally gifted athlete and I'm very weird. So when you put those (laughs) things together in small children, geeky, not super athletic kids, they tend to not do well with the athletes, the jocks. Okay. Um, and um, I made things sort of worse because I was a punk rocker. And <laughs> in the in the in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, when it, like the jocks hated the punks and the punks hated the jocks. And like you gotta understand, growing up in Ohio, I had a mohawk. Like people would pull cars <laughs> over and like five dudes would get out with baseball bats to beat you up for having a mohawk. So I really and they were all on the football team. Like it was always the jocks, right? Sure, and sure. So I had a lot of residual stuff around the jocks being the last guy picked for kickball, this stuff. And then I became a journalist in my early twenties and okay. I am, I cover action sport athletes yeah. and like you go skiing with a bunch of pro athletes. Do you know what the skiing equivalent of the last guy picked for kickball is? It's all the other pro athletes are at the chairlift waiting for you. Like <laughs> looking at their watch, like where the hell is the journalist? It's a powder day, man. Right? <laughs> and so like, that left all that stuff left a big mark, right? It really did. Like, yeah. and I, there are tools for forgiveness and forgiveness of others, loving kindness, meditation, compassion, there, but it wasn't, I've got those tools. I was using them. It wasn't getting it done for me. And I was like, holy crap, I've got this adult development gateway. If I want my superpowers, <laughs> I got to put this shit down and I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So I designed this crazy athletic jock quest. <laughs> it was a jock quest, right? And like, I literally, it was like, you know what? I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to try to become one of them and see if it works. And it did actually. Really? It like competition, all that athletic, like mm-hmm. it, like it's super fun and who knew, right? <laughs> but like, it was really like, it. I wasn't being clear. I mean, it looks really clear at it. It's strategic in the book. You know, this is a brilliant. I was like, okay, I see this moderator. I know this is true. I'm looking at the data, right? A lot of this came out of the Harvard Adult Development Studies. You got 80 years of data, you know, a bunch of different studies to back this up. And you're looking and you're like, oh, crap, I'm still pissed. I'm still, right? I'm still pissed. And I know if I'm still pissed, empathy cannot form. They, I mean, it's literally like the temporal prior junction, which does perspective taking and empathy and all that stuff. You won't get the activation that you need to carve the new neural pathways. So like literally like it gets blocked by this stuff. And I was like, okay, so let's try this. <laughs> and, I, you know, so that's what I tell people when you create sort of a NAR style quest, make it as authentic as possible. Authenticity really matters. It functions as a, as a foundational drive. So we get a lot of motivation when if it's an authentic quest. That's sort of really key. That's sort of one way of like, have you gone through the uh, the development gateways of match quality and, and, and identity? Can you create an authentic quest for yourself is a pretty good test for that stuff. Just And part of your quest should be a way to finish some unfinished business, okay. right? Whatever it is, yeah. right? Okay. I had problems with the jocks and, and like this, that whatever that thing was, yeah. and we all got that thing, close that loop. Because the quality of our later years really depends on it. One of the reasons, and this is this happens over and over and over again. If you talk to older athletes, 
50, 60, 70 people who are really killing it. I mean, really good doing hard stuff. Um, they all talk about this. Is, the reason you can perform this well late in life is, is a lot about wisdom. And right. And it, it really is like your expertise and wisdom. You're just so much smarter about it. And those things have ex so expertise and wisdom, wisdom are the two things that are most neuroprotective against cognitive decline. You want to stave off Alzheimer's and dementia? Of course. Um, yeah. Expert cognitive building up cognitive reserve, which is what fights those things off, mm -hmm. um, demands lifelong learning. And what it really demands is expertise and wisdom, right? Emotional intelligence underpins wisdom, intellectual intelligence underpins expertise. When we have those things, they're very diffuse, they're wide networks across the prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. which is the area that is most vulnerable to decline. So you have these wide, redundant networks, and, and part of wisdom is all that stuff the prefrontal cortex loves to do, like the rules for learning and the meta-analysis around the system stuff. And so you're not just holding on to the actual facts and the stuff, you're holding on to the big picture. Here's how we function in this kind of situation. And so you really want this to thrive in our later years. And you don't get it if you can't, like, I mean, I, I wish there was another way. You know what I mean? So I'll take, uh, let me take this one step further because it's really funny. I've been asked, I, was just, I was just recently asked, we've got all these older presidential yeah. candidates, right? And people are coming to me and there's some somebody out there who's proposed like an SATs for them. And I was like, yeah. first of all, that's dumb. You don't know anything about thinking and test taking and learning <laughs> and how older dogs function. And like, that's a bad test. Let's not use that test. <laughs> but um, there are things you sort of like want to look for. And one of them is, are they through the gateways of adult development? Because if they oh. haven't forgiven themselves and others, right? If you can't yeah. put that shit down, I don't want an elected official who isn't intelligent, creative, empathetic, and wise. That's In fact, that's exactly what I want an elected official or a CEO or any of those jobs. Yeah. And the, that's what we get as older adults. But, right? Tell me the but, Yeah. Right. The, if you've been through these gateways and then the, the three other things we want to talk about just on the topic. Yeah. So to unlock these new levels of intelligence, creativity, wisdom and empathy, creative thinking. It's actually the pattern recognition underneath it. It's that's what sort of starts to unlock these things. So in our 50s, creative activities become really, really important now because there's a bunch of medical folks on the other end of this. Understand that like diagnostics, when you're doing diagnostics, that's a very creative activity. So like some of this stuff is already built into some of what you do for a living, you know, makes that a little easier, but you need creativity in your fifties. And then if you really want to hang on to these skills and advance them, two things matter from that point on. One, you got to train down physical fragility. Okay. So it, what good is cognitive superpowers, your body's falling apart. And here, this is across the board. I, 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 the old idea about aging is the long, slow rot theory, right? It's we our mental skills, our physical skills, they decline over time, and there's nothing we can do to stop the slide. Turns out that's not true at all. Turns out it's not true at all. What is true, while all those skills do decline, it turns out they're all use it or lose it skills. So if you never stop training them, we can hang on to them, even advance them far later in life than anybody thought possible. So on the physical side, if you want to fight off physical fragility, this is not mine. The World Health Organization has peak performance aging recommendations. Of course. Yeah. Right. So we know, but you have to basically train up strength, stamina, balance, agility, and flexibility. And we, we know how much you're supposed to do it, or you can combine them in certain activities. Skiing is a great activity because it trains up all of them at once. Badminton, tennis. 
So for example, in studies done at the Mayo Clinic on longevity, joining a health club gives you an extra year and a half of longevity. Tennis <laughs> is nine years. Wow. And action sports could be 10 and above. So we literally know this stuff at this point. So you need to train up these five categories. to, And the final thing you have to do is you have to fight against risk aversion. So risk aversion increases over time. And when we are risk averse, we're more fearful. When we're more fearful, what happens? We're dumber. We're less creative. We're less empathetic. In fact, we're selfish. And wisdom goes out the freaking window, right? So risk aversion is literally the enemy of the superpowers of aging. And you have to train risk over time. Otherwise, you're going to succumb to this. This is another reason why these sort of challenging NAR style quests are so good is because they force you to train up risk at a time you really need to maintain it. In fact, and then I'll shut up about this. <laughs> this is wild. This is one of the strangest facts you'll find in peak performance aging. They were looking at correlates between big five personality types and health, longevity, and mortality. Okay. And there's all of them are important, but openness to experience, which directly correlates to risk tolerances, is directly tied. It's the only one to mortality. When openness to experience shuts down at a big level, people okay. are likely to die within a year. Within a year. Like, it's kind of cuckoo. You're like, what? Yeah. Wait, what did you just say to me? Um, I mean, there's other really big sort of psychological stuff that you look at and you're like, wow, why is this not front page news? But that's one of them where you're like, oh, my God, this is right here in the data. It's a bunch of studies. They all show it. Well, let me just say this. Number one is that, you know, I talk to a lot of people in these podcasts, your passion for what you believe in is just, it screams through the computer. Oh my God. And let me also say is that, you know, I'm 48. And so like everyone else, I'm like, my 50 is coming up. You're the only one that gets me pumped up to be getting older. So I, what you do, I hope you know, it kind of just, you know, our brief conversation, you get me a little more positive looking about what happens when I get older. So with that, I kind of uh, incorporated this question in, so I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit. I'm going to ask you, what are a few of the surprising superpowers that you've discovered uh, people may have when they're over 50? So I'm kind of self-serving question, you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, um, it's a great question. Some of it is what we just talked about, of course, the intelligence, the creativity, Mm -hmm. and the wisdom. Let me highlight, let's talk about the intelligence for a second, because it's... Three new thinking styles that come online. So one, you sort of put down black and white thinking. Okay. Start to realize that sort of everything is shades of gray and that black and white thinking is a folly of youth. And when things get grayer, people get the benefit of the doubt, among other things, right? Like that (laughs) stuff like that starts to happen. He's got some gray hair, you know? He's got to know what's going on. I know, it's crazy. I know. And they they don't fucking deserve it, clearly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Pardon my language. Um, All right. So the second thing that happens is we get non-dualistic thinking, multi-perspectival thinking. We begin to be able to see things from all sides, right? And this is, again, if you can't forgive other people, if you're holding grudges or, right, the creative thinking, all this stuff is unlocked. And then we get systems thinking. And a lot of this is because the two sides of the brain are talking <laughs> to each other like never before. And then we, so we get the big picture for the very first time. And it's a measurable difference. You start to see the forest through the trees. Ah. So these are really, really, really impressive cognitive superpowers. And to answer your question, yeah. I want to like reframe it and put it in a slightly different context. So at the Flow Research Collective, 
Um, and because of my work with Peter Diamandis and Singularity University and, and Accelerated Technology, I've spent a lot of years talking to a lot of CEOs. And if you're a peak performance expert, one of the conversations you tend to have with CEOs is okay. hiring and training, right? Who should I hire? How do I screen him? What am I looking for? How do I train up my people? Those questions are really, really important. So I've had millions of those discussions. And of course, my first question is always like, well, what are you looking for? What's the ideal like 21st century ass kicking employee, right? Or, yeah. you know, coworker, who do you want to work with? What do you want? I will say probably higher, but let's conservatively say 85 to 90% of the time, I hear the exact same two answers. And I have almost for a decade. I hear these two things more than anything else. One, I need very intelligent, very creative, very innovative employees because the rate of change in the world is unbelievably fast. And I have to keep pace, maintain my cutting edge. Otherwise, I'm out of business. Okay. And I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how to do that. I can't do it on my own. I, right. So creative, intelligent, innovative employees. The second thing I hear is I want empathetic and wise employees. And the reason I hear that is because there's three, threefold. One, yep. 21st century business, psychological safety is the mantra, right? Okay. If you don't have yep. it, you can't do anything, whether it's academic, business, we need psycho, that's foundational. If people are not empathetic and wise, no, we've got no psychological safety, right? No. Second thing, we all know business performance is team performance. All right. right? I mean, I have the most solo career in the world. I'm a writer. And yet I got to say like 60% of what I do is with teams and maybe even more. But my point is that team performance is everything without empathy and wisdom. You have no time for because you have no collaboration, cooperation. That's the foundation. Yeah. And finally, the mantra for 21st century business, and you could blame Bezos and Amazon. He was the first person who said it, but I hear it everywhere, is customer-centric thinking. And if you're not empathetic, nobody can think like a customer, right? You like So my point here is that the superpowers of aging, these cognitive superpowers that we get for a well-trained over 50-year-old yeah. is the dream workforce of the 21st century. Like this is a business revolution waiting to happen, right? Yeah. And not only are people, we're living longer. Everybody knows that like if you speak performance aging in a sentence, I'll actually give you the real sentence in a second, but the okay. shorthand is don't retire, right? <laughs> That's the shorthand. Don't no, I love it. I um, love it. Man. And so, okay, I'm going to try to tie in, you know, some sports and, you know, living longer since we talked a lot about that. So are you convinced that action sports are fantastic for longevity and kind of, you know, I know we kind of joked about it. This is the classic phrase, was it from like Lethal Weapon when it was like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover? You're not too old for this shit. You know what I mean? So kind of explain that. So is that the answer? Doing some action sports is so, it for longevity okay. and it tells right. you you're not too old for this stuff. Let me give you peak <laughs> performance aging yep. in a sentence. Yeah. And then let me answer your question. Okay. Okay. So, and you're going to ask me what all these words mean. Uh, so these words oh, all mean nice. a specific thing. We've covered yep. some of this. Yep. Peak performance aging in a sentence. If you want to rock to you drop, you need to, <laughs> yes. you got to <laughs> regularly engage okay. in challenging yep. social and creative activities that demand dynamic, deliberate play and take place in novel outdoor environments. Okay. Now we can talk about what, why all those clusters are important. But my point here is action sports hits all of them at once. So the thing is, and this is what I always tell people, peak performance aging is totally possible. We can train up all this stuff, but there's a lot to do. So you have to 
at the Flow Research Collective, where we train tens of thousands of people a month in 130 countries, everybody's busy. Everybody you train is busy. So we look for multi-tool solutions, a single tool that mm-hmm. solves multiple challenges at once. Action sports kit all they are challenging social and creative activities that demand right dynamic is a is a single word that means the five categories of functional fitness when an activity is dynamic it means yeah. strength stamina agility balance flexibility and by the way bonus dynamic activities yeah amplify neurogenesis birth of new neurons wow amplified by amplified by exercise okay not with, with neuro with with dynamic activities you get neurogenesis and angiogenesis. So you don't just get the new neurons, you get the vasculature that supports wow. the neurons. Okay. Yeah, it's di- that, and we can talk about why. Deliberate play of fantastic for learning. I said expertise and wisdom amplify cognitive reserve. And this is a whole formula. There's a formula for lifelong learning. Yeah. Deliberate, dynamic deliberate play is like how we maximize the exact learning we need for peak performance aging. Okay. Novel outdoor environments. Uh, novelty is, uh, is a flow trigger. So this is about putting us, helping us into flow. Okay. Um, outdoor environments matter for two reasons. One yeah. is you're very well familiar time in nature, lowers stress, right? Boosts yeah. serotonin. So there are nine known causes of aging, mm-hmm. all of them linked to inflammation. So anytime you can lower stress and lower inflammation being outside, yeah. it's a big bonus. Yeah. On top of that, here's the, here's the other secret. The adult brain, neurogenesis, the adult brain keeps birthing new neurons. Most people sort of know this now. What they don't know is most of those neurons come out of the hippocampus. So the hippocampus is the part of the brain that does long-term memory. It also does location. Yes. Right? And it's grid cells and place cells, why we're hunter-gatherers. So like, if you want to use our biology the way it's designed to use, the hippocampus was designed to remember when we had emotionally charged experiences in outdoor environments. Where were we when we found that ripe fruit tree? Because it was a cold winter and it like, it, where, where was that watering hole after the long desert crossing? Or where was that cave where we got attacked by the saber-toothed tiger, right? Like, this is what the brain is designed to remember. Right. Mm-hmm. This is survival. And so when you, if you really want to maximize new birth of new neurons and creation of new neural networks, which is exactly what you want to preserve brain function, this is how you do it. Skiing a challenging social creative activity that demands dynamic deliberate play and takes place in a novel outdoor environment. Most action sports are. And thus, when you look at the three longest, four longest lived communities in America, three of them are Summit, Pitkin, and Eagle County, Colorado. That's Vail, Aspen, Beaver Creek, Cobber Mountain. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and just to put it in perspective, Summit County, Colorado, where people outlive the rest of us by 10 years oh my god so remember what now. <laughs> extra years yeah and the other one is loma linda california which has a couple of advantages it's a seven-day advent community and so there's some dietary stuff there that works but they're okay. big hikers they get together as a community and they hike yeah. so you're getting again here's a now you right you don't have to ski hiking in the outdoors will hit a lot of this too yeah um, but there's an advantage to these these activities. Plus, remember, I said we want to train down risk aversion over time. Of course. And action sports sort of allow us to do that. So there's a lot of benefit here. Now, there's a, a way to approach action sports safely in our later years. We haven't talked about that. It's not the way you would have done it in your 20s. Of course not. <laughs> and the second thing is, I always tell people, 
this stuff is great, but like if you haven't moved in 20 years, start with a movement professional. Start with somebody who can watch you walk and say, oh shit, you broke your ankle at 16 and you're walking, right? Yeah. And fix all that stuff so you don't get injured. And then, even, and you know this from looking at the book, my yeah. preseason training was a year long. I trained That's for right. a year before I, I started doing this stuff. Yeah. Um, so there was a really long getting my body ready to do this. Um, okay. and, and then, you know, I, we went one inch at a time as slowly as possible. That was part of, part of what we did. Our motto was one inch at a time, start with an yep. established motor pattern, build on it, like with something, you know, that's just a little like creative, playful, innovative on top of it. But that would go as, go as slow as possible. There are a bunch of different reasons, but this was the other thing that we were doing. Ah, this is going to be, a, I mean, I have a couple more questions. You know, I could have the millions of questions because you just kind of get me all riled up for this. I'm so excited. But what's the first thing? So I'm going to already assume, I mean, you have so many hit books out there that people are going to read this and love it. But what can my listeners do after you fire them up about getting older? What can they do to start down the path of peak performance? So when you're talking about peak performance, actually, I said it's it's getting our biology work for us rather than against us. You did. There are five physical sides to that biology. I talked about the five, and then there's four cognitive sides to peak performance. Okay, which is motivation, learning, creativity, and flow. So the way I like to explain this to people is, mm -hmm. and they, by the way, these are catch-all terms. Motivation is a catch-all. Underneath it, you'd find things like goal setting. And intrinsic okay. motivation and extrinsic motivation, all that stuff. And there's actually an order to the process. Motivation gets us into the game. Yeah. Learning allows us to continue to play. Creativity, when you're going after the kinds of challenges that I'm into, the high, hard challenges where you're not quite sure how am I going to get there. Yeah, Creativity yeah. is how we steer. Flow, which is technically defined as an optimal state of consciousness where mm -hmm. we feel our best and we perform our best, is how we turbo boost the results beyond reasonable expectations. That is literally cognitive peak performance. And when you want to, where do you want to start? The, the research yeah. is actually really remarkably clear. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things. So one, you want to start with mindset. You, uh, same thing with the peak performance aging. If you have a mindset towards old, you need to explode it and replace it with a, with a new mindset. Um, if you've got a fixed mindset, you want to replace it with a growth mindset. If you have sure. an external locus of control, life happens to me. I'm a victim. You're literally powerless. It's the yeah. word. So you have to start. You literally have to start there. You've got to start realizing that you can affect change in your in, in your life. And usually for people with an external locus of control, the easiest way is just watch what happens during the week and notice those times that you actually affected change in the world, right? Literally like start with your own history and just pay attention to that. But once you get past that stuff, once you get, you know, yeah. past the mindset, the locus of control, that stuff. It really all does start with motivation. Motivation gets us into the game and the research is really clear. So if you make enough money to pay your bills and you got a little left over for fun, you can start with motivation. But if you okay. don't, you got to figure out how to pay your bills because you've got too much fear. When we have you know, basic survival needs stress, it produces yeah. too much fear and it'll block peak performance. So literally- Start by figuring out how to, how to, you don't need a lot. Like the research is clear too. This is Dan O'Connor's work. Sure. Um, the re you don't need a lot. Like literally you could sort of like basic income plus enough to go to the movies and go out to dinner once a week and you're, and you're paying your rent and your bills and you're good. 
And now you can, and then the next place you want to go is motivation. And right. I, the way I always tell people this, so mode, there's five major intrinsic motivators and they're designed to come online in an order. The most basic is curiosity. Okay. Curiosity is designed to be built into passion. Mm-hmm. Passion, when coupled to a cause greater than ourselves, is purpose. Once we have purpose, your system demands autonomy. I want the freedom to pursue my purpose. Of course. Once you have that, you want um, mastery, the skills to pursue the purpose well. And these are the big five basic intrinsic motivators. And they're literally designed to come online one after another after another. Okay. Uh, if you go to the passionrecipe.com, uh, I did a whole free uh, uh, tutorial on this and how, and how to do these things. I covered it in my book, The Art of Impossible as well. But it's really, I mean, like people, the research is really clear. Start with curiosity, right? right? And that's okay. what I did with my, remember, I started with a simple question. Could I learn to park ski at age 53? Yeah. That was the question. Like, I just started with a question. Now, I, you know, I, I, one of my books, I, I'm kind of, I'm a guy who can follow an idea right off the edge of the world. Like, I'm <laughs> wired that way. I really will. I get curious and I stay. I'm not here. surprised. <laughs> right. Surprised. But, um, curiosity is the basic building block. And, and let me just explain what, what's the big deal here. Cause people mm-hmm. hear these things and they, they, they make, they hear passion, they purpose, they, they gussy them up. And it's so what you care about here is one, you want the neurochemistry underneath these things. Sure. Okay. Curiosity is a little bit of dopamine. Passion is a lot of dopamine. Purpose is dopamine plus all the pro-social neurochemicals you get from having a purpose, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, right? Okay. Bigger reward chemistry, right? And then autonomy gives you way more dopamine because we're, um, uh, they're coupled systems and mastery, same thing. Okay. So these are basically in big neuro reward neurochemistry engines. That's the big yep. deal. And the big deal about all of these neurochemicals and all of these things, they give us focus for free. Paying attention is the gateway to performance. We can't do anything if we can't focus. We know this, right? Yes. And so the brain, you probably know this, it's 2% of our body weight. It uses 20, 25% of our energy at yep. rest. So trying to solve a problem and you're using like 40% of all the energy in the body, holy crap, what's it using that energy for? To pay attention. So if you get focused for free, um, curiosity, I'm just curious, yeah. I'm paying attention for free or passion, I'm really paying attention. Think about romantic love, right? When yeah. passion feels like I can't stop thinking about him or her, your dog, what it, you know, doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, Oh, so that's why all these things matter so much. We get focused for free. And so that's, if you talk about peak performance, yep. and even if you talk about peak performance aging, I said, start with mindset. And like then it. you yep. want to, right, shift your mindset and start designing this NAR style quest. And where do you start designing your quest? Curiosity. Where's my unfinished business? Like, what am I really passionate about that I've got some unfinished business? You don't have, it doesn't have to be a dynamic quest. In fact, in our yep. class, we saw everything from like, 60-year-olds teaching themselves how to kite surf to like, you know, a really shy introverted woman who had been making art for a while and she wanted to have a public show, her first public show. So her NAR style quest would, right. Now that doesn't, it doesn't excuse the physical requirements for peak performance aging. She has a creative quest. She still has to like go out and try and strength stamina. Like she's still got to do something physical. Otherwise it's not going to close that loop. And exercise, I mean, if you know, you can't 
overemphasize the importance of exercise to sort of health and longevity. Of course. Performance aging. It's just, it's sort of on and on and on and on. And like little things, weird things. Like we know we need creative thinking for, uh, to unlock these, these kind of new skills. What most people don't know is that after an hour of walking, creativity improves by 50%. Oh, man. So, right. You can yeah. go for your hour-long walk, come back, be 50% more creative, do some creative stuff, and start to unlock the superpowers of aging. Like, that's a multi-tool solution. That's the kind of stuff you're really looking for here. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, thanks for bringing it all together. And I do have one last question because I wanted to, I promised I was going to talk about the book. And I thought the best question to ask, you. and once again, if I forget, February 28th, your book's coming out, NAR Country, and it has a something. It's Growing Old, Staying Rad. And I, I love that title, by the way. So my last question for you, Stephen, is who is this book for? Who's going to benefit from this? I think the book is for everyone. And I, so here's what I've noticed. I, I like um, who's the book for? Yeah. I think it's for everyone. Um, okay. I don't think anything says Merry Christmas like NAR Country. But no, let me tell you, <laughs> let me, right? Let me give you a real answer. Because this is so we didn't know who the book was. You never know. And so it's early days. The book yeah. still isn't out, but a, enough people have read early copies. And I've given a couple of big public presentations, and there have been all ages in the, in the room. So okay. the biohacker crowd in their 20s and 30s, they love this because peak performance aging starts young. And there's, you know, you there's, that. there's yep. it's, I mean, there's the gateways of adult development, expertise and wisdom, by the way, um, we start developing them early also. So that's really important. And there's wild studies that show levels of optimism in your 20s determine how long you live 50 years later. There's wild studies that, you know, show optimistic people in their 20s will live a decade more than pessimistic people. And you're talking about much later in yeah. life. So like there's a bunch of that. So the by the and they and they, they love they love all that stuff. But what I've seen in public presentations and yeah. I've written 14 books. People have been excited about a bunch of them. And this book is doing something different. And I don't know yeah. when I, like what I what I found in the way I explained I was talking about it with people is there, when I talk about it in public, there's like a temperature change in the room. It's like anybody over the age of 30, they've got all, whatever, they've got fears around growing older. Of right? course. And when they actually find out the truth about, right, yep. uh, what's really possible in the second half of their lives, the stress levels decrease so much, it feels like a temperature change. I don't know who the book is for, but I can yep. say that like, when the message gets to people of like, you know, over 25, yeah. it seems to be having a pretty big impact. And the other thing is the book's funny and it's fun and it's an adventure story. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of my books, you know, I, Art of Impossible, people that accuse me of like writing a science textbook and like a fun science textbook, but a science textbook, yeah. this is an adventure story. The thing that I did in, in this book that I've never gotten a chance to do before. And it's what I think is, is one of the cool things and why I think this book may be for everyone or more ages than just you would think from a peak performance aging book is because of the structure of the book, because it follows this season, this quest and this experiment. Yep. It's a, it gives you a moment by moment look at applied peak performance and applied peak performance aging. That doesn't exist in any other book. And it doesn't, I mean, there's actually writing challenges there. The reason it doesn't exist is because it's really hard 
to go day by day through like a ski season and not bore the ever living shit out of people, right? <laughs> like, I mean, just, let's not kid ourselves. And, and, and Raj, there's stuff in the book you don't even know about. You can't even see because it's invisible to you. Sure. But from a writer perspective, this is uh-huh. one of the harder books I've ever had to write to solve that problem. How do you do? Because I really wanted people to see sort of applied peak performance because people think there's a magic trick. And there's no magic trick, right? It's totally within the, I always tell people, mm-hmm. like, I'm a bad athlete in a broken body with a busy <laughs> schedule, and I pulled this off, right? Like, I brought nothing special to the table. In fact, when I start the book and I start the experiment, yep. I've got COVID, and I'm absolutely burned out beyond belief. Mm-hmm. I've been working so hard for so long. So I start this experiment, yeah. burned out beyond belief, yeah. with COVID, busy schedule, broken body, bad oh. athlete. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, I'll say this, you know, and I mean it from my heart. You know, I mean, I got to know you more and more, you know, during this interview. And if someone asked me what words I would describe, of course, yes, you are beyond intelligent. But I think you are a cool dude. And I think you're pretty rad. And I do really mean that. And I think that uh, with you. your personality from what I got a chance to kind of skim through some of the chapters really reflects it there. And I like that you rip on yourself. and You make fun of yourself. Being humble is really a big thing with me. I like people who don't have to be humble, but they are. So, and I want to say it again, your book's coming out February 28th. That's like right around the corner. So I'm really excited for you. And I wanted to say thank you, Stephen, for coming on my podcast. Dr. Raj, thank you for having (laughs) me on your podcast. (laughs) All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope everyone's looking forward to getting older now. That's why I had this special person on my podcast. And stay tuned in another two weeks for another episode of the Dr. Raj Podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.